what's happening. This is the Platform Comics Podcast. My name is Tucker. Uh, my guest today is Jared K. Fletcher. Uh, he is a letterer of comic books, but he also does a lot of design work. We talk about that in the tutorial videos, how letterers end up doing a lot of production and you know layouts, logos, that sort of thing. Um, but he does a good amount of it. He even does a lot of logos and layouts for comics. He doesn't letter, so I would probably call him a letterer slash designer. I first heard about him when I picked up the first issue for Paper Girls, which is a Brian K. Vaughn book, which I think was 2015. And then I remember Southern Bastards and a few other books. And I just remember reading the books and thinking, damn, this lettering is really good. Who did it? And I kept seeing his name. And so I've been a fan of his for a long time. So, of course, we talk about how he got into lettering. He had a, a really direct route into the comic book world. He went to the school called the Kubert School, which is where you go to kind of be like a cartoonist slash comic book maker. And he, he got a job right out of school at DC. He talks about that, how that was sort of like a lucky break for him. And he's been working consistently ever since and slowly evolving, you know, the scope of what he does. It used to just be lettering, but then he started doing logos and then layouts and all kinds of design work. So, you know, he acknowledges that being a designer oriented person is definitely different from being, you know, somebody who draws like an illustrator. They're like, you know, kind of different parts of the brain. And so he really hones in on all the graphic design stuff. And I mean, I think he's amazing at it. So not only if you're trying to get into lettering, but if you're like into, you know, how to design covers nicely and logos and the credits pages, like I would definitely check out his work for inspiration because everything he does is always really on point. We do talk about what it's like to be a freelance letterer because, you know, lettering a comic can sometimes take one, maybe two days and then you got to find another job. So you're kind of unemployed every two days, right? So it's a constant job to be getting the next thing and, you know, developing relationships with people so that they're constantly sending you work and, you know, recommending you to other people. That's a huge part of of his job. And he talks about what it's like to, you know, be your own business manager. You know, you're not just a creative person. When you're a freelancer, you got to run a business. And that's not why a lot of people want to make comics, but it's one of the things you have to learn to do. And he's uh, developed a lot of great relationships with, you know, different writers and, and other artists so that whenever they're looking for a letter, you know, they keep coming back to him. And a lot of that is not just because he's awesome at his job. He is really professional. He delivers stuff on time, always in the right formats, things like that. And pretty much everybody on this podcast always brings up how important it is to be reliable. I get a feeling there's a lot of people in the comic book world who are just unreliable. And once you've been through a few of those, you're like, screw that. I don't care how talented you are. I want somebody who's going to respond to emails on time send the files on time, you know, be available when we need you to be available, that sort of thing. So we do spend a good amount of time talking about like the mentality of being a freelance professional. It was a great conversation. You know, he's a really creative dude. He talks about influences outside of comics that help him, you know, see lettering in a new light and design and typography and calligraphy and that sort of thing. So I'm really happy I got a chance to speak to him. Uh, hopefully there's a lot of uh, good information for anybody listening. This is my interview with Jared Fletcher. So uh, we are recording this on Friday the 13th, which is uh, usually a, a day of bad luck. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, about luck because a lot of the people I've talked to in the comic industry, they all seem to have like a story of like like a lucky break that they got. Like this one editor saw their work or this one artist read their script and that kind of led to the next thing, led to the next thing. Do you have anything like that, like a lucky break you had early in your career that somebody took a chance on you or something? Oh, I have a profoundly great lucky break story. So I went I went to the Kubert School and when I was at the Kubert School I had Andy Kubert as a teacher. He like kind of like taken a shine to some of my stuff and then he's like, "Oh, you know, I showed some of your stuff to you, my dad." And I was like, "Oh shit." So I was all intimidated and then like 
Andy had bought like this, this lake house. And he's like, do you want to rent my lake house next year? And I was like, okay. And so my roommate and I were now renting like Andy Kubert's lake house. And we're like, this is kind of crazy. This is around the time when he was doing like uh, origin, right? He's like in the middle of doing like the Wolverine origin thing. He was a great like mentor to me. Like when I was in school, uh, he would let me and a couple of people like go by his office, which was like in the building at the time. He'd go over our pages, our assignments for his dad, because like doing stuff for Joe was always like super intimidating. Um, so I got to know Andy really well, and he's best friends with this guy uh, named Nick Napolitano at DC Comics. And Nick is like a vice president there now. He might even be like a senior vice president at this point. I'm not sure. But Nick at the time was going to be the manager of their then in-house lettering department. So Andy called Nick and got me an interview with Nick. And so I had interviewed, and they had me do like this lettering test, like like on the spot, like just kind of do it on the computer, and they give you this page, and it had like all these sound effects, and it's pretty dense and complicated. And you do that, and they're feeling you out to see if you're like a weirdo, you know, if you're, because you're going to be sitting in a room with these people all day, right. so they want to kind of figure you out and get your energy. And this just like gruff guy that seemed like he was straight out of the Sopranos kind of came, and he like... He like was kind of dismissive of my test and he gave me some shit and I was like, all right. And then I go to leave and like I call Andy. He's like, how'd it go? I'm like, I don't know, man. I was like, I don't think that went well. <laughs> and so then like a little while later, like they had actually like offered me the job. That was like, I don't know if Andy like intervened on my behalf further beyond getting me the interview. But um, yeah, that got me like the foot in the door at DC. That was like my lucky break. Did you study specifically lettering work at the Kubert School? They, it was one of the classes that they taught, and it was one of the ones I was good at because when I was a kid, my grandmother, who was like an artist, like my grandmother went to RISD, and then she was like a commercial artist before like photography became like a thing, you know, we had to like draw everything right. like in the catalogs and stuff like that. So she taught me like calligraphy like super early, so I was good at the hand lettering classes in school. And then I would do other people's assignments uh, for, like, money <laughs> and, like, like as a side hustle. Um, one guy paid me in Snapple because he was, like, slowly robbing the Snapple machine from, like, the, uh, the vending machine area. He had, like, some trick to doing it. I don't know how, but, like, he would pay me in Snapple. And I don't know. It wasn't something that I, like, set out, like, deliberately to do. You know, and when I talked to Andy about it, I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. He's like, hey, he's like, you go, you get to work at D.C. for a little bit. He's like, you meet some people, you springboard. And he was right. He was right about all of it. I, I looked at my time on staff at D.C. as like a uh, like a comics grad school. I was there for about like four years and some change, I think, like that. And I, I learned like so much and I got to meet like all these interesting people. You're around editorial and you, you get like an idea of like how these people work and what they're doing. Cause most people don't know like what these editors do or like what, what these managers do or how this stuff happens, how these decisions happen. You know, it's like, so that was super instructive. You said lettering was just kind of one of the classes at the school. What, what was your goal going into the school and what, what did you imagine yourself doing? Because I, I feel like a lot of letterers kind of start off wanting to I don't know, be artists or even like writers who learn to letter out of necessity. And then they kind of just almost fall into it and then sort of realize that it can be not only a career, but a really like artistically fulfilling thing. And like, so is that your case as well? 
I think my case was different in that, like, I, so when I went to the school, what I liked about the school, what appealed to me about it versus like other places was um, Joe had this philosophy of like teaching you how to do everything. There's all these different like languages you can learn to speak in comics. And it, it's, it's one of them that I learned how to speak like well, like quickly and have been able to kind of like make a career out of while I pursue like other stuff, like, like design wasn't something that I spoke as well early on, but I think I've gotten a lot better at, and I'm having a lot of fun doing that. And that is an opportunity that I was afforded like through lettering, like the lettering stuff led to logo work. And then the logo work has led to like design work. Well, I just saw, uh, Nate Pico's, um, tweeted something along the lines of like the best letters are graphic designers. And do you think that maybe that's why you succeeded in that direction? That like maybe you have more of like a graphic design sensibility than like, you know, an illustrator's sensibility? Yeah, I think I have like a more holistic sensibility to it as well. Like I like I, I think like part of part of lettering is understanding like how to read it and really understand like the nuts and bolts of how it's put together, right? Like if you've never actually like sat down and made a comic, I think that's why some writers get into doing it is like, cause you have to, you have to sit down and make the whole thing to then understand like how to organize all the pieces and how everything's going to flow and how everything's going to affect the reader as you move from left to right through the page. And if you can't do that, like then, then it's starting to kind of fall apart. Like you're just putting like text on there, but then there's like, there's people who are good at like, just kind of, maybe like over designing stuff in it, but then it doesn't read well. You know, like I've seen a lot of pushback on that lately from people who are complaining where it's like, oh, this thing has too many fonts in it or that these too many different styles in this one kind of thing. Like people are complaining, they want stuff to be. I mean, I remember like when the, when like Comicraft was huge, like in the mid nineties, right? Like when every Marvel book, they were, they were just doing like everyone talked in a different font. You know, like the thing had a font like it was it was the way that like uh, Todd Klein approached like Sandman. But like the whole Marvel Universe looked like that for maybe like a year or two. I think I was actually reading Paper Girls, which was maybe like four years ago when it first came out. And I remember seeing your lettering and being like, oh, lettering can actually be really cool and interesting. And, you know, you used like lowercase fonts and the balloons were interesting. So what you were just saying is like, yeah, you can obviously be too creative, but at some point, when did you kind of realize that it's more than just like a utility that you can get creative and contribute in a creative way? I think my approach to it, it's like coloring, right? Like any good colorist is trying to like compliment the artist and kind of like enhance what's going on there. And they're also bringing like their own sensibility to it and their own like storytelling abilities, right? Like it's more than just kind of picking the right colors is setting the mood then you have other people who just kind of come in and they're like, this is just what I do. And then they do their thing. Right. Like they color everybody like kind of the same. And so I had always approached lettering as this should be something that is reflective of like the artist style. And that's where I try to get creative and sort of craft like a, like a style guide or a look for the book that meshes more with what I think would fit with the art. I don't know, like, I, I joke that it's, like, um, that guy from Mortal Kombat, like, uh, Shang Tsung, who just changes all the yeah. styles, right? Like, he just, his style's that he has no style. He's got everybody else's style, and he's got, like, a different style on, on top of that, right? Like, that's kind of how I've always kind of come at it. And that's where, 
that's I think like where the where the creative aspect of it, at least for me, comes in. Well, you say you have no style, and but I I definitely can say there's been many times where I'm reading a comic and I'm like, the lettering is really good. Who who lettered this? And I turn in it, and it's you. <laughs> So that's happening. I think I have like a level of like craft, uh, you know what I mean, that I've like achieved in it. But like past that, it's not like I don't think it's known for like, oh, this like I love John Workman. Right. But then you look at a John Workman thing and you're like, you can tell by the style of it that it's like a John Workman thing. Like I've had I had one job on the Winterman where like Workman was sick or something was going on. I actually had to like ape him as close as I could. You know what I mean? So like yeah. there are people who want very specific like looks to things, you know what I mean? And they, they come like looking for that. Um, his is like the most requested, like, can you ape this guy kind of thing? Well, as far as like um, the creative aspect and trying to do interesting things, I'm sure there's, you know, other letterers where you maybe steal an idea here or there from them. But are there is there anything outside of comics that influences your lettering, like any other design work? Or do you have like a folder of like, interesting things i've seen that could influence it yeah like there's yeah there's always like a running evernote folder of like reference kind of stuff so for batman damned uh lieber mayho and i had this conversation and he pointed me at he pointed me like at this photography book called um uncle charlie it, it's huge it's like this massive tome so there'll be, like, there'll be like photo pages and then there's pages of just text and the text is all done in these very kind of interesting fonts that change from paragraph to paragraph, depending on like who's talking. And it just doesn't read like a normal book. And so like Lee was like, you got to check this out. He's like, I want to do something like this for Batman. That's how we ended up on the way that the the narrative kind of John Constantine caption kind of runs through the whole book. And, and then you kind of mentioned um, sometimes publishers or editors will, will say they want a certain style. I, I'm going to guess that when you're doing stuff for like Marvel DC, it's a little more, I don't know, stringent than when you do like a creator-owned image book. Like, Or are the people who do the creator-owned books, are they actually more strict and trying to be more controlling? No, the people who do the creator-owned books just kind of more want me. Like, when you hire me to do a creator-owned book, you kind of hire me, like, to let me do my own thing. And that's seldom not worked out. So when I'm having the most fun and when the stuff looks the best is when there's the fewest restrictions. But, yeah, yeah, I've I've been involved in other stuff for these bigger companies where there's, like, yeah, there's heavy style guides on stuff. You know, when I was doing that kind of work, I would always prefer to kind of be there at the beginning to kind of help, like, set the tone. You know, Paper Girls took a while to sort of figure that out. You know, we only knew that we wanted, like, upper lowercase, I think. And we, we ran through just a bunch of different options, you know, like just whittling stuff down, like, back and forth. Like, like Cliff was very specific about what he was looking for, so... And so, uh, like, the notes that you get and revisions and stuff, is, is it very different from, like, big publishers versus the creator and stuff? Is I don't know. I've talked to letterers who say some publishers or creators are very specific about, like, the placements and, you know, the sound effects and stuff. It, it just really depends on, like, who you're working with. Every book is, like, just being, like, in a different band. And, right. like, every band kind of functions differently. Like, I remember when I was working with Kurt Busiek, and he has... The first page of his script just starts with like like a like a key, and he's got like these little like a lettering key, and he just has like here's what these things mean. Like if I type it this way, you do this, 
if I do this, you do that. And it's very specific. I've had other people tell me, like, you figure out the bolds. Like, you're the one reading it. Like, you tell me what should be bolded. Like, some guys are just writing, like, an outline, you know? And then they really only kind of start working on it until after it's been lettered, which is very frustrating. Like, they treat, they'll treat the first kind of pass at it like just it's a draft, you know, as opposed to like a finished thing, like, like Vaughn, for instance, like it's done. You know what I mean? Like he'll, he'll tweak a couple things here and there if there's a mistake that's been made, but Vaughn doesn't go back and like rewrite whole pages. Like it's done. He locks it in. Um, other people are like a little bit more loosey goosey with it. So it really all just kind of depends on who you're working with. Yeah. I was talking with, um, the letter, uh, Aditya Bidikar. Oh, yeah. And he was saying, like, the big advice he would give to writers is after you get the art back, kind of do, like, a lettering pass in your head, kind of, like, imagining, do, like, a read-through of your script. Because I guess as a writer, you know, reading something on a page as a script is kind of hard to visualize, especially if you're kind of getting into writing. And so once you kind of see the layouts, then you can kind of maybe rethink how the dialogue flows. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's good advice for writers? Uh, it's fantastic advice because it's one of the things you learn when you're making your own comics, right? It's like once you see the art and you're like, ah, that that line doesn't work anymore, right? And so like it's com- it's a completely understandable thing, but it it gets you know it takes it takes time to redo all this stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, as far as um, working at a company versus working freelance, who is I was talking to Scott Koblish about this. How like there's a lot of you know downsides of being freelance is that even if you're an established guy like he is like you're still worried about you know where the next job is going to come from like the security that sort of thing and i feel like letterers are kind of like the most freelance because like an artist can take a month for a job but a letter you letter a comic in like two days and so like every two days you gotta kind of start a new job so how do you feel about that i mean is that something where you're kind of on constantly looking for work and constantly looking for the next thing yeah you've you've hit part of it on the head there. Yeah, that, that is, that is a part of it. It's part of it is trying to like, I try in, in a way to, so I don't have to do that as much. I try to attach myself to things that are going to be like a little bit more longer term, you know, as opposed right. to like, you know, just jump in and do this one thing real quick. And then that's it. The, the frustrations then become like when you're working on creator own stuff, you can't, necessarily always plan around that right like we haven't done southern bastards in a while right like i can't rely on southern bastards as like a part of my income this is kind of a thing that happens when it happens that's that's where it gets tricky is kind of juggling the schedule between like something that's exceptionally consistent like paper girls and then other stuff that takes time off and you like there's a lot of scheduling you're the business manager you know you gotta get out there and you gotta like hustle after work so and then sometimes you're in the position to be fortunate where people come to you and then you can kind of pick and choose your spots and you can turn down stuff, you know, and then you get like, you get guilty about that. Cause it's like, I want to do this, but I don't have time for it. You know, you have to learn how to set boundaries. It's an important word in freelancing. And you, I mean, you mentioned like a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit where you like to do people's homework for money and for Snapple. Um, so is that part of like, the personality you need to be able to like manage all your own time, get your own work, but then also be able to have the freedom to work at your own rate and your own schedule. Yeah. It's, it's a lifestyle. Um, yeah, no, it has, look at this tremendous upside. Like I get to walk the dog like anytime I need to, you know what I mean? 
Um, the people that I've seen that have been the most successful, whether they're like a colorist or an artist or an inker or a letterer or whatever, is uh, like there is a certain amount of hustle that I think you have to have because like you're like no one's going to sit around, especially early on and just kind of hand you jobs. Like you have to get out there and kind of like make them happen. I think I was talking to Latour about this. It's like there, there's just an awesome amount of responsibility that kind of comes with being your own boss. And not everyone can handle that. I think that's just kind of the, the unfortunate facts of it. It, it just it takes a lot of work because it can go like I'm, I'm guilty of falling into like a like a workaholism kind of routine with it, because once you get moving and you're doing well, then people just come at you to offer you stuff and no one else. No one knows your limit but you. And so it's very easy to kind of get like burnt out and just be doing like too much stuff. Right. And you have to manage that. And there's no one that's coming to you. There's no boss. It's like, hey, I think you've maybe worked a few too many Saturdays or Sundays in a row here. You know, like there's no one there to kind of like look out for you. Well, you got a you got a wife. I'm I'm sure she can kind of sense when you're driving yourself crazy. Yeah, no, she's tremendous. Um, I am acutely aware of what I am kind of putting my wife through. You know, like this isn't this isn't a normal kind of a thing. You know, so like there there's there's trade offs with it, right? Like you know, I get to I get to kind of like take days off if I need to, which aren't that many. And then you have to trade that with sometimes I have to work like super late at night because someone's late on something and it kind of slides down to you to sort of be like the last line of defense before this thing is going to make its due to the printer date. Right. So I got to like explain to her that I'm not coming to bed because like this thing is due out in the morning. I remember who was I talking to? Lee Lowridge, great saying, shit rolls downhill, right? <laughs> like, it's just, right? So you're kind of like the last guy there sort of, like, catching the whole thing. I think that was always, like, the key to Paper Girl's success was everyone in there. We had a lot of time to work on that book. Uh, that was mostly due to Cliff taking that, like, very seriously. And, like, everything was just delivered on this giant schedule that he had. And everything, like, we had enough time to kind of do, like, the best job possible. And I think that now that it's done... You know, I think we can satisfactorily say that it looks as good as it does because we had the time to do that. And because you're doing lettering, I mean, I know you do a lot of like layouts and stuff like that. Are you also handling like production and stuff that kind of falls at the end of the process too? Like on the image stuff, yeah. Like that's one of the nice things about doing stuff with the more established, like the bigger publishers, like like Dark Horse and Marvel and DC. They have like production staff. You know what I mean? So like when you you just turn in files. And they are in charge of putting the book together, right? But on almost all these image books that I do, um, I'm also like I have like a sec. I have like three jobs, right? Like I'm I'm doing the lettering, I'm doing the designing, and then I'm the production guy who has to take like all the art, merge everything, get the file ready to send to Image, and they have production people there who can kind of like catch anything like slips between the cracks. But they're not in the business of like packaging books for the printer. You know what I mean? Like an image you're expected to come to them with something that's like ready to go. But is that something you charge like an additional fee for, like putting together PDFs or whatever? Or? Yeah, no, no. My rates on the image stuff is higher than it would be on like a thing, like like the Batman Dam for DC, right? Because like someone else is doing all that. Like for DC, I'm just handing them like a file. Someone else is dealing with all that. It's more kind of, you know, it's, it's easier that way. But then the problem that you deal there is that you have 
however many layers of editorial, like combing that book after issue one, you know? So like, right. There's, there's a lot of, there's a kind of like a lot of like waiting back for revisions and stuff like that. You know what I mean? So when you're working like in corporate comics like that, there's a lot more eyes on stuff where an image, it's like there's someone looks over everything. They make sure nothing horrific's going on. There's no hierarchies of editorials that need to overlook things or anything like that. You know what I mean? As far as getting work, you mentioned you're kind of always looking for the next job and, and hustling and stuff like that. Um, like, for example, I know you, you mentioned Southern Bastards with Jason Aaron, and now you're doing Sea of Stars with Jason Aaron as well. I don't know if you've done any other ones with him, but I'm assuming there's also relationships you're building with other creators and that you get work that way yeah that that's also like a big part of it like i've done i did uh the guy dan with jason i did men of wrath with jason jason and i've gotten along uh well for a very long time like i worked with darwin cook like that we did the new frontier together and then we did the spirit and then we did a couple other things but we'd always he he'd always liked working with me i think part of the one of the reasons i got paper girls like i worked with cliff on wonder woman but then i had worked with vaughn on ex machina a long time ago so i was familiar with both of them yeah you establish like people like working with reliable people that they can depend on that are like easy to work with and are good at what they do right so when you find that you tend to kind of hold on to those people and do you do anything to like maintain those relationships besides just like what you just said like just being reliable and professional and obviously submitting good work do you like hang out with people outside of comics or do you uh, friends with them on social media and interact with people? Is there any kind of way you try to maintain that relationship? It's not something you can just kind of do overnight. You know what I mean? Like I like for over like, God, it's been like maybe like it's been a long time that I've been like building and nurturing these relationships, both in and outside of comics. Do you know what I mean? It's not something that you just kind of arrive to overnight. I think an important part of it is being sociable. You know, there's people who unfortunately don't live in other countries and stuff like that. You can't get to cons and things like that's. I think that's important because how well do you really know someone if you just know them on Twitter? People in comic, people that work in comics like hanging out with other people in comics. I was I was hanging out with Latour a couple weeks ago. We were talking about just this. Like there's the like some of our favorite people are just kind of comics people. You know, and so I think just by nature of that, you find other kind of kindred comics people that you like working with and you try to you try to stick together. And and you just mentioned conventions um, as a letter. What what's your your role with uh, conventions? Like, do you get tables and stuff like that? Or you just kind of go and I don't know, hang out and wander around and talk to people? I wish I wandered around more. I yeah, I'm going to New York this year to wander around and we're doing like some paper girl signings. Uh, I do heroes every year. I get a, I have a table. That's just such a great show. It's it's only it's only comics. But yeah, I, I do some here and there, but not not as many. But yeah, I try to sell. I try to sell like uh, whatever kind of comps I have. I I do. Um, I always try to do the uh, when they when they offer it. Like I did the heroes this year. They do the uh, the hero initiative kind of tip jar. You know, like for signing stuff. You just kind of get to meet new because like so I own a piece of paper girls, so it's in my best interest to go out there and, and sell trade paperbacks at these things, you know, right. um, the paper girls fans are wonderful and it's always fun to meet them. And it's always fun to try to turn people into paper girls fans like I've, I always get a kick out of like at least once a show, I try to sell paper girls to someone who just doesn't at all look 
like they should be reading Paper Girls. Maybe this isn't something you could talk about, but I know they're talking about making it into a, a TV show. As a, as a part owner of that, is that like a big like windfall for you? Like, is that like another revenue stream for you possibly? It, it is. Like, Paper Girls is affording me the ability to, I don't know if I'd call it a windfall, but like because I because I own a piece, like, I'm, yeah, we're all getting paid. Like, Matt and I are all getting like checks out of this. I don't know exactly how the Hollywood pipeline works of like how and when we get paid, if it becomes a, sh- you know what I mean? Like, no, it's def- it's interesting. Cause I'm sure most people getting into comics aren't thinking about that. Like, Oh, maybe I'll make some money if this, th- this property ever gets turned into a movie or TV show. But even if you're a letterer, which you think you're not, you know, owner of the story, like you can actually own a piece of it. And that could be some random thing that you're getting royalties from, I don't know, 20 years from now or something. Yes. Yes. That's the hope. It's, um, yeah, it, I think of it like I'm like investing in something. You know what I mean? But um, but I'm using like my labor because it's weird. Like that would have gone a long way if there was any kind of bullshit with Paper Girls. I would have been like, ah, you know, at least I own a piece of this. But like, there was never any bullshit, so I never had to like fall back on that. Yeah, it like hopefully this picks up the sales of the books and stuff like that, right? I hope all of this. I don't care where any of this goes. My I only care about a toy set. Okay. Like, I have gone as far as to design several ideas for the packaging that I've shown to Cliff. Um, like, if the day ever comes, but, like, I, I want us to have Paper Girl toys more than anything. Maybe to kind of wrap it up, maybe I'd like to talk a little bit about, like, your non-lettering work, like your design stuff and, and your logo work. Sure. I, I just saw you did um, like you did all the logos for the, the new T- TKO Studios comics. And did you letter any of those comics? I lettered the the Seven Deadly Sins, the cowboy one. How often are you doing like uh, like logos and and layouts and stuff for a comic that you didn't letter? Like just people reaching out for you just for that. That has been going pretty steady for the last. I think like once I did the X Men stuff for Marvel, maybe like six or seven years ago. Like since then, since then I've been able to kind of like that's been like my second job. You know what I mean? Like like the way I kind of approach everything is like I had like two jobs basically. Some of it's really fun with uh, the creator owned stuff. What percentage of them are you not when you do lettering? Are you also doing the logos, doing layouts and stuff? Is that like par for the course, or is that? I'd say it's about par for the course at this point i think like when most people hire me for creator own stuff now they're hiring me to do like both of those jobs i'll get hired to do like just logo stuff all the time you know for like different companies or different creator own kind of stuff but yeah you like lately i've been getting a bunch of offers to do like everything and i can't and so then i'll be like you know but i can do the logo right like i've got time to do like a logo but i don't have time to be like your letterer for 12 issues or whatever and your designer you know i don't have all the time for that so like usually when i get approached i get approached either for the logo stuff or for um to do the whole package do you ever letter a book and then they already have a logo that somebody else made and then you look at it and you're kind of like ah can can i take a crack at the logo please yes i've had all right so i've had i've had people come to me with things that they've tried elsewhere and they're like this is terrible can you make this better um i've also had things where like for for wonder woman for instance like we just made that and submitted it like there wasn't anything there yet this is when i had the studio with cliff chang and so he was putting together like the like the the promo image for the like he had gotten a gig he did like this cover image and he's like i want to put a logo on this and i'm like all right 
And so, like I say, he's just, he sat there over my shoulder, like for a couple hours and we, we made a logo and then that just ended up being the logo. Like they paid me and everything, but I'd never, I was like, this is a ballsy move here. We're just going to submit this and see if this works. And it, it did, thankfully. Well, no risk, uh, no reward. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've had it go the other way too, where I remember, uh, Nate Picos, who we mentioned before, um, had reached out to me and he was like, Marvel's hiring me to just redo your X-Men logos. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, I just want you to know. And I'm like, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I've, I've also had to walk away from stuff before. Like I've, I've had to take a kill fee sometime. Like I had to do one recently where it was like, I did like 16 logo sketches for this thing. And they were like, we don't like any of them. And I'm like, man, I'm, I don't have any bullets left in the gun, man. Like that was like every idea I had. Like sometimes you just got to go like, look, just give me the kill fee. I'm sorry. Like, I just, I can't, I'm just not the guy for this, you know? And then you see what happens afterwards when it's in print. You're like, oh man, I never would have come up with that. Yeah, no, you were totally right to get rid of me. Like this is like, I just, there's some stuff that you're just not, you're not the right guy for it. And that's the thing you got to learn along the way, you know, because like some people fight it and then you're just, you're just in this battle on something. You just got no business doing Well, uh, Jared, thanks for talking to me. Um, I do appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Tiger.